After enduring the crushing pragmatism of Nuno, Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte, Spurs fans were crying out for some fun. A team that will play on the front foot, a team that will play football that has at least a smidgen of unpredictability. With adventurous Aussie Ange Postacoglu at the helm, Tottenham fans may well get what they wish for. And if Emerson Royale banging in a goal from the edge of the box isn't a sign of change, I don't know what is. Harry Kane has swapped the lane for the Strasse, but maybe it won't be so bad after all. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Once again, we've assembled the best tipping team that a beer and a big bar of chock can buy, starting with the lord of the Bet Cave himself, Mark O'Hare. Mark Spurs play Manchester United on Saturday, and while Tottenham had what I thought was some really bright moments against Brentford in that 2-2 draw, United actually looked pretty dreadful on Monday night, even though they won 1-0 against Wolves. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, I'll start with Tottenham because I thought um, I thought they were good uh, in a good spot to oppose on, on week one because uh, you know in the infancy of the, the Postecoglou era, obviously that uh, heightened really after Kane's departure too, and the market moved in in Brentford's favour. But as you say, I was I was pleasantly surprised and impressed by what I saw from Spurs, considering it was week one. We saw the principles of Angeball from the off really. Uh, Spurs were the most passive team in the Premier League under Antonio Conte. Uh, they were bottom of the league for high turnovers during his reign but you know pressing is key for Postacoglu and we saw our Spurs which were much more dynamic than, than previous years. Uh, Madison I thought had a good game in and out of possession. Uh, it was great to see the, the better side of Basuma in the midfield engine room as well. He uh, used the ball very well too. I think the only negative from a Spurs perspective was you know, Kane's gone, Richarlison leading the line. You had 70% of the ball, 18 shots, and he didn't really have a major involvement or a major influence on proceedings. So that's one to watch. Uh, but I do think Spurs will be fun to, to follow this season. That sort of high-risk, high-reward strategy that we saw um, pressing high, but also, you know, using the ball uh, from the goalkeeper early on was uh, it's going to be a work in progress. And I'm, I think um, Man United despite being absolutely appalling on Monday night, should get opportunities in this game. Um, you look to the likes of Rashford, Anthony, Sancho, whoever's going to fill that sort of front three positions, they're going to get opportunities in transitions or even just the ball over the top, basically, because I don't think that Spurs backline is is ready to be sort of top four material just yet. Uh, they were very easy to play against last season. I don't see that being sort of rectified immediately. I think Brentford had a, had a lot of joy playing against them as well. But um, yeah, you don't want to overreact to just one game, especially the opening game. But yeah, it was it was really really unimpressive from United, and I think it wasn't just the the lack of um, accuracy in possession. It to me, Wolves just looked like a, a fitter, sharper, physically superior team than, than United in almost every asset. And you know, United were lackadaisical, of course they were, but just really really sluggish. And um, and the midfield you know, balance looked completely wrong, didn't it? Casemiro had so much ground to cover. He did, yeah. Uh, Mason Mount was was pretty anonymous for a lot of it as well. And, you know, a bit of a shame, really, because we saw United towards the end of last season actually kind of put together a, a nicely balanced midfield. We've got the best out of Bruno Fernandes. Casemiro, we saw the influence he had when he came into the team in the autumn, really, uh, and the impact that had. So Ten Hag admitted there was a number of key areas that need work on. Uh, he needs an immediate reaction and improvement. So 
I think we will get a better United, but I am slightly concerned about that fitness issue. If they are a couple of weeks off being at their sort of peak fitness, that, that is a concern. So that was my big taking point I took out of, of that uh, match. But um, in terms of this game, I think it's hard to be too positive about United, not just because of Monday, but um, you look at their record on the road last year, taking one point from the top nine. They conceded two goals or more in seven of those eight winless away days, shipping 28 goals. That, I need to see improvement there from United before I can sort of back them with confidence, especially as favourites away at Spurs. So if, if I was pushed to an Asian handicap selection, it would be Spurs plus a quarter here. But I think the, the obvious bet here is to back goals because of Spurs' kind of new lease of life really under Postacoglu. I think they will go for it. I think they will be open. I think they will be entertaining, exciting. So obviously overs has been clipped in quite significantly in the last week or two. Uh, BTTS the same, but you can package the two together and back Marcus Rashford to have a shot on target which comes in a, a reasonable 2.10, 2. Uh, 11 to 10. So uh, that would be a, an easy angle to take. Uh, the alternative, if, if you don't want to take Rashford, uh, just put Oli Skip in to commit at least one foul. Uh, you get a similar price. Uh, Skip, um, <laughs> he's a bit of a foul magnet, really. He's very good at breaking up the play. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's it goals all over this game for me, but uh, you obviously need a, an extra an extra segment, really, to sort of get an odds against offering. So take your pick. Rashford shot on target or Skip to commit a foul. The XG robots are polished to a shine and gently whirring because the dashing doctor of data is in. Jake Oskarthorpe with us once again. Jake, we've seen already the tactical changes Ange Postacoglu wants to make. And even without Harry Kane, do you suspect they'll score plenty of goals this term? Because you just wonder Son getting the captaincy, that'll give him a lift. He doesn't look absolutely knackered, so there's a bonus. Kulusevski, I always think in the right environment, can do some damage as well. Yeah, I think the you know the creative <clears throat> the creative players are definitely there. It's just a case of having that one person to stick the ball in the net. Um, but then again, it might be more of a team effort from a Spurs point of view rather than that one focal point to rely upon hitting thirty goals. You might end up with four or five that get to eight, nine, ten, um, and accumulate it that way. So yeah, it's fascinating to watch. Um, I thought they were it was a breath of fresh air really compared to what we've seen from Spurs over the last probably four or five years ever since Maurizio Pochettino left. Um, yeah, it was probably the, the most eye-catching or the most the most I've enjoyed watching a Tottenham team. Um, and I know it was a, it was only the first half, really. The second half kind of, but kind of, it was almost like the, 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 both managers got them in at half time and said, right, that was a little bit too open. Let's tighten yeah. things up a little <laughs> bit. Um, but yeah, I, I fully expect them to, to kind of stay with it. And, you know, the, Ultimately, we're seeing it more and more in football, aren't we? That managers come in, they have their ideologies, they have their way of playing, and that doesn't change, no matter the opponent, no matter the results. That that kind of consistency um, is is really important nowadays, and I think that that is ultimately going to be you know the making, and probably it will hurt Tottenham this season. I'm sure there'll be some teams like maybe Liverpool or Man City that are ruthless and clinical that might hit them for four or five, but. You know, they're also going to go toe-to-toe with some of those teams, maybe cause a bit of an upset. And this could be one of them because, according to the odds, this would be an upset if Tottenham were to to beat Manchester United. Um, so, yeah, everything Mark said around Manchester United, I completely echo. I think that uh, I was alarmed, really, at the level of performance against Wolves. I think most of us had that down as a very comfortable Man United win. Uh, it was anything but, really. It was, you know, barring a couple of Onana saves and, you know, a GBH kind of foul, then... yeah. Um, you know, that, that would have been a draw and, and all of a sudden it looks like a really bad start to, uh, to the season. So um, I'm quite happy to oppose United in this game. Um, 
but I think there's better value elsewhere because we're all thinking along the goals line. We're all thinking goals. The line is, or the price is quite short for the overs, as Mark's already highlighted. So if you think there's going to be goals, like why not delve into the goal scoring markets? And that's kind of what we do when it comes to the doctor's prescription is we, we look at trying to find value in that goal scorer market. And things we kind of have to take into account are the is the goal expectancy in the actual game itself. Um, the higher that is, then obviously the more chance your player is as of scoring or getting any good chances. Uh, and then it's also the frequency with which the player gets on those uh, and the chances. And, and that, the, the player I've highlighted this week is uh, James Madison, uh, 16 to 5, so just above the 3 to 1 mark. Um, yeah, like I said, it, the game is expected to have around three goals, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, and you're talking about a player who uh, caught my eye last week, not for his actual on-ball ability because he got two assists, but actually off the ball as well. I thought he was brilliant in terms of his relentless pressing. But we know he's got quality um, in his feet when he gets on the ball to shoot, whether that be from a dead ball situation or picking the ball up in those pockets. Um, and his average of 0.24 expected goals per 90 since 2018, so over a long period of time, and that is just when playing in that central attacking midfield role um, is, is relatively high for a player that is going to be playing in a very attack-minded team in a game that's expected to have a lot of goals. So if you were taking that 0.24 just from a you know any generic game, you'd expect to price around 16 to 5. So that looks fairly accurate. But when you factor in the higher goal expectancy, um, the fact that he's playing in a more attack-minded team and his team are probably expected to score more in this game, then I think the price should be a little bit shorter um, than 16 to 5. So I think there's a little bit of value there in taking Madison to score. Yeah, that's what that feature, the doctor's prescription is going to be all about this season. Jake, looking at the numbers to try and find you some value in the goal scorer markets. Trader, tipster and regional windsurfing champion <laughs> Emmett O'Keefe is in the building. Emmett United looked, <laughs> Marco has a good old giggle there in the corner. Uh, Emmett United looked really vulnerable in midfield against Wolves. Eric Ten Hag with a lot of work to do. You're a United fan. We make no... Uh, secrets of that on the show were you quite shocked yeah scared um scared <laughs> how to describe it like the i think yeah it's yeah as, as 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 kind of analysts and kind of people involved in gambling you're always wary of kind of being too reactive to a small sample size and there is kind of a thing where like football fans haven't had premier league football for so long so you're kind of eager to make kind of a judgment on the first game or eager to react to when when rally is and you, you shouldn't read too much into it. Yeah, I'll give all these caveats to make myself feel better. Um, yeah. That, yeah. So obviously, as that, only a fan can do. As only a, fa- a fan could do. I think my main point would be, though, that the midfield structure the United are playing with kind of Casemiro sitting and the and Mason Mount and Bruno pushed on. That works for Man City with Bernardo and De Bruyne because their pressing structure is brilliant. And the, the and the as, as Gary Neville says, the the great strength of the Guardiola, one of the greatest strengths of Guardiola management is he gets these unbelievably technically gifted players to work like dogs in, in terms of when, when they're out of possession. And Man United didn't do that. Um the, the like the, the like Wolves was Wolves cut through them like cut cut through them cut through their press like a knife through butter and it's kind of because then I, I think i think you know it will be better i think the you know it will definitely be better in possession it'll be more coherent i, I do believe in in ten hag in that sense and I, I do think we'll see improvements as the weeks go on but whether that midfield structure is sustainable out of possession i think will be a question that could be answered over the season but definitely kind of de- de- definitely game game one was pretty concerning yeah just to illustrate as well how we kind of 
kind of the the, the Tottenham change under Postacoglu, the the, the figure of sixty nine percent possession they had against Brentford that was only bettered one time last season, and that was against Bournemouth away, who were like one of the weakest teams in the league. So I think this clearly like is in seeing kind of um, seeing the wing backs pushed into midfield, which is something you didn't you, you clearly didn't see under under Conte last season. But I would say just I think it is. I would just I think it's a little bit alarming that given Brentford are missing Ivan Tony and David Ray that the markets had them as an underdog away from home there. And even this season, the betting markets are kind of are telling you they don't fancy Spurs by the fact but by, by the fact that how short a price United are this season. And for I, I do like Postcard in the style he's he's implementing, but like 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 what's the what's the upside of a goal total in a forward line with potentially declining Son Young Min, Richarlison and Kulusevski? Um, I think I think that's that's still to be proven over over the season. I was definitely impressed with Madison. I kind of was kind of giving a bit of criticism in the preseason part of Madison. Madison was outstanding, but I think he'll he'll need to be because I think the this the, like. And again, if, if you look at the wing backs, like you're not going to be relying on Emerson Royale to score goals in 20 yards every week. I think the it's kind of so. I think Tottenham have a bit to prove. Not so much the style of play, which I do like. It's more that is the talent there to really maximise that style of play. Um, in terms of bet for this game, I'd agree with everything Mark O'Hara said. I think this this looks like a pretty pretty open affair. I I I, I was thinking maybe if you're looking at kind of team shots on target for Tottenham, I think that's. A, a decent angle at them. United are kind of favourites to have more shots on target than Tottenham, but the way I see this shape of this game playing out would be kind of a fairly reactive performance from United and trying to nail Spurs on the break like Brentford did last week. Um, but I think, yeah, so if, if you're looking for kind of a small, like, but if you're looking for kind of a something something at, at kind of a bigger price, if you were to pick kind of a centre half and a forward to have a kind of a combustible relationship on the pitch, I think Richarlison and Lissandra Martinez are top <laughs> of your list. You have the Brazil-Argentina connection, yeah. the two lads generally being lunatics. And I, I think as well, you've got the Premier League's kind of new emphasis on kind of cracking downs on fouls. And you saw, and like, and, and kind of even, you last saw last week in the Liverpool uh, Chelsea game where Diogo Otto was kind of bush, booked for nothing any of those kind of flare-ups I think the, the Premier League or the, the refs are clearly being told to clamp down on that so I think that's kind of all in our favour so yeah if you're looking for something at, long, at longer odds that, that's around 12 to 1 on Richarlison and Martinez to have a card yeah I'd expect those new rules to last until about mid-October maybe and yeah. then we go back to normal that's what usually happens uh, Betfair is offering a completely free acker or bet builder every weekend in August but you have to opt in to claim it maximum free bet £5 per customer minimum combined odds and T's and C's apply let's head to Fulham for a West London derby then Fulham with a winning start to the season at Everton Jake how's this one going to go because already Everton fans seem a bit concerned as they should be um <laughs> yeah there, there's yeah I think we said on the um on the pre season preview show that on paper, the squad looks fairly well built for a Sean Dyche kind of team. The issue is that they haven't got anyone that can score goals, which over the course of the season is going to be a massive problem uh, if they don't rectify it. And, you know, Calvert-Lewin was absent again last week. Um, Neil Morpine missed a hat full of chances. He's probably the worst finisher in the Premier League based on underlying numbers. He's the biggest wow. consistent underperformer in XG. Um, and Brighton did an unbelievable bit of business getting rid of him. Um, especially Why do the speed. XG robots hate Neil Mope? <laughs> because he can't finish. <laughs> Quite simply, he gets into good scoring positions, which is something that we would look at as being a huge positive. Um, but he's a consistent he underperformer. Um, you know, you, you take one season as a sample, and 
you'd probably forgive it for one season and be like, okay, we might bounce back a little bit. A bit like Darwin Nunes last season, we think, right, you know, benefit of the doubt the season before he overperforms. So there's a chance that he kind of levels off. But more players have been doing it for three or four seasons in a row now. Um, similar to the likes of Gabriel Jesus um, and Kai Havertz as well, who have consistently for years underperformed their XG. So getting into good scoring positions, not taking advantage. Um, and, you know, Everton, they aren't a team that create a lot of good chances. You know, they, 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 so when they are created, they have to be put in the back of the net. And that's, yeah. you know, that's something that they struggle with. And ultimately, that's where a team like Brentford will punish Fulham a lot more because they have better finishes in the, in the lineup. And um, yeah, from a Fulham perspective, I know I've talked about Everton there, but from a Fulham perspective, the fact that they conceded 2.6 expected goals in that game against Everton is massive alarm bells for me. Um, couple that with the fact that last season they conceded 1.9 expected goals against per game, which was league leading. So they were the worst defensive team on the underlying numbers last season. And it looks like they've continued that again this season. Then they are definitely a team to oppose in my mind as well. You know, you factor in Jao Polinia, who's out, um, Alexander Mitrovic, who looks like he's going to be moving on. He's not been involved. That um, feels massive, doesn't it? If they lose Mitrovic and somebody, I mean, Liverpool seem to be going in a different direction, but I've been told Palini is on their list. He's going to be very expensive, which is why one of the big clubs might not pull the trigger on him in the end. But if they were to lose him and they've lost Mitrovic, there's alarm bells going on all over the place, aren't there? I mean, I, I'd tip them for relegation before the season started and I, I still think they're a value pick. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put anyone off. Fulham. I think there was, there was a group of about eight, eight teams, eight, nine teams that we, you could make a case for all of them going down. Uh, and Fulham definitely fit into that category, just purely based on the overperformance from last season and just some natural regression. And then you factor in the potential absentees as well of, of big, key, crucial players. Um, and the, you know, the sensational season that Bernd Leno had in the net, which, you know, we've seen from a data perspective that overperforming on your post-shot XG is an extremely volatile um model and, and you know you very rarely see a goalkeeper overperformed by such a large level season on season on season it's usually one massive overperformance then a little bit of regression and then you know it's one of those that's really volatile and fluctuates quite drastically so you can't pin your hat on the fact that Bert Leno's going to have another good season so um yeah I'm a little bit worried for Fulham I think the fact they've still got Marco Silva there is is potentially the only difference that might keep them up um you know, if they if they got rid of him and someone slightly lesser came in, then that would be a massive concern. But yeah, I, I'm looking to oppose them in this match. Um, Brentford, they were good against Tottenham. You know, they're very good at home in general, um, create a lot of good chances, which is unsurprising. They do generate a lot of good opportunities. And, and as I've said, they've got quality at the top end of the pitch to put those chances away. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at taking Brentford plus naught on the Asian handicap. It's around 1.93. Um, but I also really like the look of goals. Like over two and a half goals is priced at 1.98. I could not believe it when I saw this price. I expected it to be closer to around 1.75. I thought it should be that short. Um, I wonder if people are just looking at that 1-0 result and thinking, oh, actually, you know, they might be a little bit tired. No, 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 no. They're still conceding a lot of good chances. Um, and last season, as I've said, their expected goal figures were silly uh, defensively, really bad, but they were creating chances as well. And I, I think that creation will continue this season. I think that, again, could be the difference between them going down or staying up because they have got some good attacking players um, and they play in a very attack-minded way. So um, 66% of their games last season went over two and a half. 74% of the home matches went over two and a half. Uh, Brentford, obviously, 2-2 in the opening weekend. 
And both games between these two last season finished 3-2. So very high scoring. And ultimately, like I just think these are two very attack-minded teams. So the fact that we're getting close to even money on over two and a half was extremely surprising. It would be the most modern football thing ever for Marco Silva to have turned down tens of millions of pounds from a Saudi club to stay at Fulham, only for Fulham to sack him before the end of October, <laughs> if it all goes wrong. Uh, Emmett, how do you feel about Fulham going into this campaign? Because yes, they got that win, but uh, I could see you nodding when Jake was talking about that XG figure against. It is a bit of a concern, isn't it? Definitely, and as well, it's kind of it's a dangerous thing for managers to to set expectations that high when the team isn't that good. Which is also like that was the things so of Fulham finished tenth last season, but their XG numbers were that of of kind of a relegation struggler. So in the kind of but in some owners' minds, they might think we're a tenth place team, we should be at that level or kind of kicking on. Whereas the reality, the the data says something completely different. Um, on that as well, like Burnt Leno's quietly been kind of the one of the best keepers in the Premier League. Like his that that's that's why one of the main reasons they were able to kind of overperform their XG like the po- a lot of the Jake could be very funny with those kind of post-shot um, XG models for goalkeepers that would have had him as the second best keeper in the league last year and he was performing kind of heroics um, heroics again last week but like Leno hasn't been that level of a keeper over his career so if he even went from the second or third best down to kind of the seventh or eighth best that would see that would kind of that really kind of put Fulham in trouble uh, I'd echo everything Jake said it's unbelievably worrying when you're conceding that many chances to kind of a limited Everton team and just in terms of the goals angle yeah, the other one I'll, I'll stick with kind of a, a winning selection from last week it's served as well is Brian and Buemo. I just don't think the market has quite caught up to the fact that He's kind of in this, in this, in this kind of central role. He's not playing the way he used to be. He's on penalties uh, because of as, Tony's absence. Because of Tony's really, absence, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That he was like a, I kind of compared him to Philip Seymour Hoffman in the previous podcast. He was very much a supporting <laughs> actor. He was averaging over eight assists, a bit, a bit like not quite the same. But if you, if listeners might remember, Karen Benzema when Ronaldo was there was very much in the kind of he was very much playing to serve Ronaldo and he'd have good yeah. high assist totals. Then when Ronaldo left, he was a completely different player. He was kind of a turned into a ruthless goal scoring machine uh, it's obviously Buemo is on that level it's a little bit of a similar dynamic when in Buemo's kind of he's playing as kind of second fiddle to Tony he's playing to set him up but now he's very much the kind of central striker for for, for, for Brentford alongside Johan Vissa he, he scored once last week he, but he also missed an absolute sitter in Buemo will do that but again for these kind of bets you want guys who are getting into positions and in Buemo will always get in the positions and against kind of a very against kind of a very vulnerable Fulham defence. I'm more than happy to take him by him out of score over 2 to 1 again. Yeah, it is interesting that dynamic because we've talked about this before actually. When Christopher and Kunku moved from the wing into the centre, it took a long time for the market to catch up with the fact that he was scoring goals more or less every week and he was still coming out at 2.6, 2.8 to score a goal. So if you can get on that kind of train, um, before the market reacts, then it generally works out pretty well. Uh, let's take our first hop across to the continent because the Bundesliga starts this weekend. Harry Kane's league debut for Bayern is at Werder Bremen on Friday. You can back Bayern to win, Kane to score, and over six and a half corners in the game on the bet builder at just above evens. Bayern would have to play a hell of a lot better than they played against Leipzig last weekend, but Werder Bremen haven't made the best of starts. They were knocked out of the day of Pokal, which is Germany's Premier Cup competition by lower league opposition last weekend. So I think there are still a few concerns. They didn't finish the season 
particularly strongly. So I think that Bayern will probably make heavy weather of it, but I think they will win the game and I wouldn't be surprised at all if Harry Kane was on the score sheet. RB Leipzig smashed Bayern 3-0 in the Super Cup last week. Mark, you want to focus on them because they've got a blue chip game in the first weekend. Should be a really exciting match. Yeah, a uh, real humdinger for, for week one from the Bundesliga on Saturday afternoon. Um, Leverkusen against Leipzig. Um, yeah, fully expect goals, fully expect entertainment in this match. Um, I was incredibly impressed by Leipzig considering the the summer they've had, uh, the massive kind of overhaul in that squad, a huge amount of quality leaving the building, Gvardiol and Kunku, Shobosly, Lima, just to name a few. But I think you can always trust Leipzig to do good business in the transfer market. They are one of those smart clubs you look towards to see where they're going because they almost always sign players of quality, really. And uh, Benjamin Sesko didn't start last week. Christoph Baumgartner and Niklas Seewald um, comes in with a great reputation. Appender, of course, made a great uh, had a great campaign of lawns in, in Liga in last season too. So they're still a good team. Um, and I think under Marco Rosa, you just know that they're going to be at it in most matches, you know, looking to get forward, looking to to put pressure on their opponents. Um, it still might take them a bit of time to gel completely. I know last week was was very promising, but I wouldn't that be... That hat from Danny Olmo was outrageous. <laughs> yeah. Second goal. The pirouette is unbelievable. Yeah. He looked a little bit surprised himself, to be to be fair, after scoring that goal. But uh, yeah, he was he was wonderful as well. So they've got so much attacking ability in that squad, despite the players that have left. So I fully expect them to go to Leverkusen and try and put down a marker early doors. But um, Leverkusen haven't had quite as much change, but I, I really like the business that they have done. Uh, Diaby's, of course, gone to the Villa. Uh, Victor Boniface is a really exciting addition from Union Saint-Gerois, a forward. Uh, they've strengthened in the fullback areas. Jacques has arrived. Jonas Hoffman as well, a really smart pickup, I think, from brilliant that back signing. too. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. And you've already got Florian Wurtz there as well. So they'll absolutely be targeting top four this season. Uh, without a doubt, we saw a massive uplift under Xabi Alonso last year. Uh, tightened them up a little bit, played to their strengths a bit more. Um, the majority of their matches are also very fun to follow too. Under Alonso, so just uh, just really surprised that we're getting over two and a half goals here, at one point eight on the exchange. Um, I'll be honest, this bet, this uh, this wager would not be available if this game was taking place in October, November time. The, the market will have reacted. Um, Bayer scored at least twice in twelve or seventeen home games last season, including seven of eight uh, against the top half at the Bayer Arena. Seventy one percent of their home games went over. Leipzig scored in 12 of 17 away. They scored at six uh, away days and eight at the top half. Um, six of their eight games against the top five saw both teams scoring. They only kept four clean sheets away uh, and 68% of their overall matches went over to and half goals as well. Uh, to me, this is the sort of nailed on over to and half goals game in the Bundesliga this weekend. So the price is, is terrific, really. You can obviously boost it a little bit further by including both teams to score, but there's no need to if you back it on the exchange at, at 1.8. Now, there's no doubt that injury time goals are a great source of drama in football, but those goals can be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bets. So we've introduced 90-minute payouts. Now, when you bet on the results of a match, you can still win, even if there's injury time drama. If the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands, your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. There's a handy FAQ section on our website, betting.betfair.com, to explain a bit more. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. Liverpool started with a one-all draw at Chelsea and lost the battle to Chelsea for both Moises Caicedo and Romeo Lavia. They're at home to Bournemouth. Jake, how's this one going to play out? And this is another one that could be an absolute goal fest. Um, 
Yeah, just watching Liverpool last week against Chelsea. Um, yeah, let's just say they need a defensive midfielder because they were getting cut open with relative ease um, after the first half an hour. I thought they were exceptional for the first half an hour. They were pressing well, winning the ball back high up. And, and probably, you know, I think if Salah scores that, if Salah's goal stands, I think they probably win that game quite comfortably. But, um, you know, that after that, some slight tactical tweaks from Pochettino just kind of had Liverpool on the back foot for the rest of the game. And I think it still shows that they are perhaps that one player away from you know, really, really challenging uh, and being very, very uh, good side because ultimately they were outplayed. Uh, they lost the XG battle as well in that game, which is slight concern given the, you know, the kind of, um, I guess the embryonic stage of which Chelsea are under Pochettino. I expected, um, I wasn't expecting them to be as good as what they were. So a little bit of a, of a shock for me and probably for Liverpool as to how potentially far off they still are. Um, and then you've got a Bournemouth team who look very, very lively. They look... Um, they're definitely going to be one to trend in the positive direction. I think we're all kind of sweet on Bournemouth and, and Iraola and their potential this season. So um, both teams to score at 1.85 looks really, really big. Um, you know, Liverpool have been excellent at home, not just last term, but just in general for the last five, six years. Um, but if you just take last season, they averaged 2.4 expected goals for per game, but did ship 1.2 expected goals against per game. And both teams scored in 53% of their home matches. This match obviously finished 9-0 last season. It was the end of Scott Parker. I don't think there's going to be nine goals in this match, but we might not be far away. Um, but it won't, it won't be a nil. I fully expect Bournemouth to contribute. I thought it was really interesting that Chelsea forced um, a lot of final third turnovers um, in that game last week. And Bournemouth also, despite what I was saying in the outright preview around their potential matchup with West Ham and West Ham maybe playing over the top of their press, they still forced a lot of final third turnovers as well. That's the um, Iriola way, right? It really is. I didn't. I just didn't think they'd have the opportunity with West Ham. I thought that they kind of um, hit it over, over the top of that press, but they still managed to force quite a lot. And, and I think that could be quite key in this match. And you know what? I'm looking at the, the handicap as well, and you can get Bournemouth plus two on the Asian handicap. Uh, that's where the line's currently set. And I th- I'd be more than happy to take that as well um, as a bet at one point. If 1.8 at the minute might get a little bit of a bigger price once there's more money comes into that market. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, that this Bournemouth team have been underestimated still. I think the style is very well suited to playing against the big boys as well. We saw the results that he had in La Liga with Raya Vallecano, um, getting yeah. the better of Real Madrid and Barcelona at times. And, you know, fully, I, I think that this Bournemouth team have been underestimated. And, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but the price on Bournemouth to go to Anfield and win is, is huge. Um, granted, Liverpool don't lose a lot at Anfield. But I think goals and I think Bournemouth will keep it tight. Manchester City up against Newcastle in a fascinating clash. Emmett, I thought City looked really vulnerable at times in their Super Cup penalty shootout win over Sevilla. There was a spell once they'd gone 1-0 down in the early part of the second half when Sevilla switched Lucas Acampos to the left. City couldn't deal with that at all and they had a couple of glorious opportunities to make it 2-0. They got there in the end. They found an equaliser. Cole Palmer played very, very well and they won it on penalties. But it's a great start. No, and I think it's just, it's it's kind of, it's a cliche, but it is true that we, we don't, the kind of the first half of the season City is not, is generally not the kind of fine the oil machine we see in the second half of the season. And just as well, I think it's kind of, again, it's another cliche to say, talk about, oh yeah, that City can basically lose any player and, and it not make a difference. But I, I, 
uh, they haven't probably Kevin De Bruyne is due to be out I think potentially through like three or four months it's, it's, it's yeah. a serious and he'll be able to, to stay but we haven't I don't think we've seen him probably it's, it's been a few seasons since we've seen him miss this kind of sustained sustained uh, time for City and against a defence defence like Newcastle who we know are really strong especially, especially in midfield that kind of midfield screening with the likes of Bruno Guiaresh and Joe Linton and like they are well organised under Eddie Howe they're one of the best like at, at selling defence last year so they might miss his, his kind of lock picking ability in, in in a game like this and just as well early in the season Newcastle having a bit of a rest advantage and we know the way Newcastle play in terms of that it's a real high intensity that, that, that they that they kind of benefit they, they benefit from those rest weeks I think more than most and it's one of the reasons probably where the markets were kind of not favouring them pre-season there is an expectation where they have to play that every three days that we might see a drop off in that style but early in the season when, when that's not an issue I'd be kind of I think this is there's a few factors that would that would kind of favour Newcastle here, um, but having said all that, I I, I couldn't I, I still hasn't take on City away from home. But if you just the bet builder angle I liked here was Sandro Tonali shot on target. Anyone who've already watched uh, Newcastle play Villa last week would have seen he would have, he would he's basically playing as kind of a second striker, kind of an old Frank Lampard style role where he's no defensive responsibility and kind of all about kind of going kind of going for goals and kind of shots on target and, and shots. And um, obviously, we might see him having a slightly more adapted role against City, but I'd still, I, I, I still would kind of take a chance here at the price. He's currently around five to two for a shot on target, two shots on target last week, and I just think, in general, having watched him from Milan, he's very much a bit of a shoot on sight merchant. So he's kind of a guy who I think he'll he'll definitely give us a chance. I expect him to have at least one shot, and five five to two looks a little, little big. And I think we're definitely worth including if you're doing a bet builder in the game. Yeah, Tonali's quite an interesting one because I think he was painted as this kind of deep-lying playmaker because people talked about he's the next Pirlo earlier in his career. But actually, if you look at what he did for Milan, especially in that Scudetto run, he scored some really important goals towards the end of that season. So he has got that ability to break forward and support the attack. Now... I'm going to put you all out of your misery. I know you've only been listening to all this Premier League stuff, so you don't miss the main event. Well, you haven't. Well done. It is Mark O'Hare's Scott Watch. Mark, take it away. Yeah, so uh, just to push last week with, with Falkirk, uh, we had a, a massive market beat, actually. Um, our, our recommendation is six to five. Actually went off around two to one on, um, but they could only draw away at Cove Rangers. Um, that is reduced... the power of Scott Watch, people. <laughs> um, a reduced slate this weekend. Uh, League Cup is taking priority. So just the one game in the championship. Uh, I'm going to focus on that. It's between Arbroath and Queen's Park. There were 24 points between these two teams last season. Uh, Arbroath finishing up with the, the worst home record in the division. Just two wins from 18 at Gayfield Park. And uh, this season, they have started appallingly. They were thumped 4-0 at home to Dundee United and then lost 2-1 against Queen's Park away from home last weekend. So a strange quirk of the scheduling. These two teams are playing again uh, a week after facing off. Um, Queen's Park, though, are two from two beating our both and Inverness by the same 2-1 scoreline. But they've arguably, arguably been more dominant than the results have suggested. Uh, 26 shots, 12 on target, 19 corners across their opening two games. And they were very one-sided and, and one-way traffic in, in last week's match too. Uh, won the shot count 14-6, the shots on target count 5-1 and the corners 15-2. So um, our both were hammered by Dundee United, as I said, at home. Their veteran head coach, Dick Campbell, was very unhappy and has been very unhappy with his side's performances so far. 
their cumulative shot on shot count reads 929 against them shots on target 2 to 12 against them and they've allowed 25 corners across their first two games as well so there's 8 to 11 about on Queen's Park draw no bets which to me looks like a very solid play in Scotland um culture corner I think it's time we focused on Queen's Park being the the oldest club in Scotland and the 10th oldest club in the world having been founded in 1867 they were amateur for the first 152 years of existence uh, and for many years were the f- the only fully, completely fully amateur club in the SPFL as well uh, until they voted to end that status in 2019. They've had a bit of funding that's resulted in back-to-back promotions, consolidating in the championship and now they have aims of promotion uh, and you can see that basically by their, their choice of head coach. Um, Owen Coyle was there last season, he left in the summer. They've now appointed former Ajax and Anderlecht coach Robin Veltman. So, Huge ambition there from Queen's Park, uh, a club who call Hampden Park their home. Uh, they're the only Scottish club to have played in the FA Cup final in England, doing so in 84 and 85, 1884 and 1885. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've also won the Scottish Cup 10 times. Only the old firm have won it more often, the last of which though, came in 1893. Um, another interesting fact, they're the team who, uh, well, they supplied all of the players for Scotland's first ever international game against England in 1872. They're known as the Spiders because of their black and white hooped kit. And a famous former Spider is Sir Alex Ferguson, who made his debut as a 16-year-old in 1958 away to Stranra and scored in a 2-1 defeat. Sensational. I do love Culture Corner. It is genuinely one of my favourite parts of the week. Uh, QPR, we're gonna, we're not going to let Mark talk about QPR. I think that's probably best. Uh, they've made. Why not? Eight... We, we won last week. I can talk about QPR. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's not going that well. Uh, Emmett, we said QPR were going to be rubbish. They uh, have got a tough game against Ipswich, and you don't think things are going to improve. No, um, yeah, I think I think it's one of these kind of classic, classic championship games last week where um, I think we're just, I think Jake Jake kind of tipped against QPR was was but was really unfortunate. It's kind of Cardiff absolutely dominated the game, dominated the XG, but QPR managed to kind of nick the win. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think QPR will be so lucky this week. Ipswich, I think Mark, Mark O'Hare was very high on Ipswich pre-season, and they look every inch automatic promotion candidate. They're very impressive against Stoke, Stoke last week, and they're kind of it's early, but they're showing that they have, they're they're kind of they're taking the championship step up in class really well and kind of all those statistics, incredible statistics they put up in League One last season look look to be carrying over. And it's one of these things. Currently, you can get Ipswich um, just a shade of odds against away to QPR. I think it's one of these ones. Like if that fixture happened in ten weeks' time, I think I, I think Ipswich would be a lot shorter. I, I think there's plenty of value there, and they're and they're 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 a really strong bet for all your kind of Saturday accumulators. I'll be roaring on the Lionesses on Sunday morning as they face Spain in the World Cup final. England coach Serena Wiegmann's now taken a team to four major tournament finals in a row. It's utterly extraordinary. She won the Euros with the Netherlands. Then she won the Euros with England. She lost the 2019 World Cup final with the Dutch against a very, very strong USA team. It is amazing the body of work she's put together in the last few years. England have been gritty and ruthless in this tournament. They haven't always played that well, but they've always found a way to win physically. I think they've been very strong in a lot of their games. They've got the dark arts down pat. They are quite happy to absolutely slam into people. Sam Kerr, when they played against Australia, they had put in a couple of reducers on her very early on. 
Spain have some incredibly talented players, no question. Aitana Bonmati is one of the best midfielders in the world. Alexia Puteas, I get the sense, is not still fully fit, but still a very, very good player. I'm still not convinced about them defensively. Got really an experienced goalkeeper in Katakoi. I think England can win the physical battle. I think they can cause a problem from set plays as well. And when you look at England's firepower, Lauren Hemp has been absolutely brilliant in this tournament. Wasn't maybe as good as we thought she'd be in the Euros last year, but she didn't need to be. Alessia Russo took her chance very, very well against Australia to get that third goal. Ella Toon scored a brilliant goal as well. She's really a player for the big occasion. She's now scored, if you put all of her tournament appearances together, in the quarterfinals of a major tournament, semifinals of a major tournament, final of a major tournament. So that's the kind of quality you're dealing with and at the other end Mary Earps has been brilliant every time she's been required to make a massive save she's come up trump so I'm happy to back England simply to lift the trophy at 19 to 20 on the sports book I think Spain will have a lot of possession but I think they will struggle to break England down and I think England have the quality in transition to cause them all kinds of problems now it's time for the world famous podcast treble a feature so popular that Saudi Arabia have tried to buy it for $300 million, only for Mark O'Hare, to turn them down flat. How it works is each of the guys come up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action, and lovely traders like Emmett wrap it up in a boosted treble. Jake, I'm not going to start with you. I'm going to start with Mark O'Hare. Okay, I'll I'll play it relatively safe. Um, I'll be talking about this game on Sunday's show where all the cool kids hang out, and I'm going to back Viking to win in Norway uh, when they take on Starbeck. Um, Viking have gone level on points at the top of the Elisterin after a a nine-match winning streak, which includes beating Bodo Glimt as well. Uh, And at home, they've won seven from nine. They've scored twice or more in eight of those nine, and they've scored three goals or more in six of nine. And they're playing a Starbeck team who lose consistently on the road, and they've taken just two points from the last nine matches going back to May. So I'm expecting a home win there for Viking. Lovely stuff. Emmett's. Yeah, for all the reasons I already stated, I think Gipswich really looked like banker material. Way, way to keep your. And Jake, take us home. Uh, I was going to go Ipswich as well. Um, go with You got react. Yeah, I've got a long list here, Kev. Don't worry. Good. Um, good. Good. I, given the guys have gone fairly <laughs> shortish prices, I will throw Brentford in eight to five. Okay. To beat Fulham, um, I know it's. It might put quite a few people off, but I just think that there's a big gulf in quality between the two. And I think that Brentford will expose Fulham's defence. Hopefully it won't put people off. Hopefully it will inspire and excite people. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly, as Mark has helpfully said. We have the Sunday show to look forward to. Make sure you're one of the cool kids who listens to both. You don't want to be part of the Dweeb Army. There's loads of good preview content on our website, betting.betfair.com. From Emmett, from Jake, from Mark, and from me. It's goodbye, family.